Hi, welcome back to the Digital Sociology Podcast. Uh, now, last time you heard from me, uh, if you're a returning listener, I um, I said that I'd be taking a couple of weeks break. Uh, as it turned out, that turned into a lot more than two weeks. So, uh, sorry about that, but I um, just got swamped with work um particularly with the the start of term and teaching but also lots of uh, other commitments as well and i've just not had time to get round to producing any more episodes i've had some interviews stored up for quite a while but it's just the the time it takes to edit them that's got in the way so sorry about that but we should have a regular stream of episodes for the next few weeks at least um, if I can keep on top of the editing. So in this episode, I'll be talking to Rachel Thompson about the work that she's doing with um, at the University of Sussex, um, looking at some really interesting ways of using uh, digital methods, both for generating data and also for the presentation of data. Um, and looking also at using uh, digital archives. So here's my interview with Rachel. Hello again. So I'm um, now talking to Rachel Thompson, who is Professor of Childhood and Youth Studies at the University of Sussex. So hi, Rachel. Hi. Hi. I hope you're doing well today. And thanks for talking to me. Um, And so... Uh, Rachel's uh, been working on um, uh, a couple of different things which I think are uh, of interest to this this podcast series, but particularly the uh, Everyday Childhoods Project, uh, which I think is based at the University of Sussex, uh, where she works, um, which, as I understand it, um, tries to look at, the, the uh, as the title suggests, the everyday um, experiences uh, of children, but in particular using some, some digital methods um, in this. So could you say a little bit about that project um, and how you're using some digital tools for that? Yes, thanks Chris. Well the, the project um, I should say first is very much a collaborative collaborative piece of work. I'm working with colleagues Liam Berryman and um, Sarah Bragg who's at University of Brighton um, and the, the project really uh, has been an attempt to think about young people and children's lives in a digital age and what it might mean to research and document them. So our starting point has been the creation of um, a multimedia um, archive, which is, would only be possible because of digital methods, which is a, forms a collection within the Mass Observation Archive. Um, and it's really trying to document the very sort of ordinary everyday lives of children um, and young people and to put it into a space where in the past they really had no documentation of children's lives because of the ethical um, challenges, not only of including children in a public archive, but also the practical challenges of including um, digital data in an archive that has traditionally worked with with paper, um, so the the project has really been partly a um, methodological experiment for both us and the Mass Observation Archive, but also has been a really substantive engagement in 
what does it mean um, to document um, children's lives at this moment in time and what part does the digital play in children's everyday lives. So we're working with these questions which kind of where the methodological and substantive are very close to each other. Yeah, absolutely. That's really that's really interesting. And so the the, the work you're doing it forms part of the mass observation archive, um, uh, archive, which goes back to kind of uh, the it's in the 1930s. Yeah, it's it began in 1937 um, and was um, in some ways it feels like sociology is only just catching up with the mass observation yeah. project, the original project, which. Um, interestingly for us at this moment in time kind of cut out the researcher as the the professional researcher as the middleman Mm. but um, offered a model of of participatory research where people could become involved in documenting the world around them so it was very much a participatory um, uh, project so they had things for example like the May 12th mass observation where people would just go out and document everything they could see around them. And that might be people kissing under the pier or, um, you know, what they had in their wardrobes, for example, or cafe, yeah, the, the menus from cafes. Mm. So there's this real sense in which the Mass Observation Archive is almost finally um, coming together with contemporary sociology in terms of realising some of the ways in which we might rethink participation um in a digital age yeah and and it's it's effectively a kind of a, a form of crowdsourcing a long time before anyone absolutely used those kinds of terms um absolutely. yeah it's, it's it's a really fascinating project and i think it's yeah it's, it's interesting to to then be kind of bringing that together with the digital I th- but i think um a moment ago you mentioned about um the the kind of the ethical issues of of including children in this project so um, how, how is the approach that you're using now kind of dealing with that? Well, one of our starting points was this idea of the disappearing child, that it in sort of contemporary culture, and particularly in the public spaces of, of contemporary culture, it's becoming kind of almost impossible to document children. Yeah. Um, and children are increasingly absent from the archive for apparently ethical reasons. However, you know, there's a huge amount of data being harvested for children from children in the private sector. Yeah. Um, but when it comes to the public sector, we we are very anxious and worried about documenting um, children. Even though we have we play lip service to ideas of children's participation in practice. Um, questions of protection seem to trump them. So we've been really interested in um, uh, starting from a kind of different place. So we began the project from the, our starting point was to invite people to collaborate in creating an archive, which would be public and open and shareable. So we began with the notion, what is it possible for us to make that um, that is that that um, doesn't involve us obscuring or hiding the people who have made it. It's a very different starting point. In a sense, we start with the archive, and I think that's one of the things that digital methods actually begins to enable us to do is to rethink the sequence, that the classic sequence of social research. So rather than you know, ending with archiving as a sort of um, post. Mm-hmm. post-project um, n- notion what if we start with that um, and we begin 
and we are open and share that project of building an archive with participants. And this project has involved us working quite closely with media professionals and filmmakers for whom starting with the archive or starting with the film, starting with the output is is the way that they work. So it's been really interesting um, as sociologists to actually think about our practice as being quite peculiar and needing to be accounted for rather than taking for granted some of the kind of ethical baggage that, that, that um, has come along with the discipline. Yeah, and so how have you found that participants have responded uh, to that so far? Uh, is, is that something that, that, that's drawn them in that uh, that kind of that sharing aspect and being involved in constructing an uh, an archive? Is that something that, that's that, that's appealed to them? Well, I think probably all of us don't really know what an archive is. So one of the things we've done is True. invited invited um, children and families into the archive to actually see what it is and what yeah. happens in it. And generally they've been kind of blown away by how much care is taken of the documents that are generated with them. They're really surprised and sort of um, shocked by by what that involves. But also it, it's, it, they don't really know what it means to be archived. I mean, I certainly don't know as a researcher what it means mm. to be archived in part. Part of what we're doing around making data sets for sharing is dealing with uncertainty about the future. We don't know really what we're promising and we don't know what we're signing up to, even though we um, uh, do everything we can to make that that process as accountable um, as possible. So we, you know, we did a lot of kind of active um, sort of uh, work in, in the um workshops that we ran the archive with um, researchers and families and participants to try and imagine who might be a secondary analyst of this material mm. um, and fascinatingly you know um, young people were most ambivalent about the kinds of uh, uh, about things like students other students looking at the material in, in the future that that made them feel quite annoyed whereas <laughs> we might feel very positive about that yeah. Whereas the idea of a journalist coming along years later, which will, you know, raise the hackles of all researchers, seemed quite exciting to them. So, you know, we have different values and different yeah. notions of, of risk. So part of also what you have to do as a researcher is to, you know, have a duty of care and to be thinking about what people perhaps can't understand as being a risk or as a consequence. Mm. But I guess one of the things that we've been really keen to do is not bracket off being involved in a research project from all the other forms of risk taking and documentation about the future that young people are involved in, whether mm. that's posting pictures of themselves to Facebook or Instagram or making themselves vulnerable to unknown audiences in the future or even in the now through their sort of social media practice. So one of the problems is that we tend to govern one set of activities and leave the other as being well it's within market terms so it, it doesn't um really warrant attention and um, so some of that movement between the two has been the focus of our of our work i, I suppose the one thing that's really comes through in um, significantly is young people really care about the quality of the outputs and we've worked mm. with professional media um, uh, producers to create some really quite beautiful multimedia 
um, um, outputs. For example, we have if people go onto the our website, they can see children's bedrooms and they can hover their cursor over toys, which will then start speaking to them with the the interviews, the the um, the, um, the accounts of children's own voices will start coming from that and they loved they loved things like that yeah um, and they were slightly less excited by the very clunky diy versions that we did using <laughs> press <laughs> so you know if, if the output looks good people are, are are probably more um excited by it than if it's if it's a bit sort of uh, uh, ordinary and uh, and clunky yeah and i think that's i mean i, I imagine um for a lot of young people their main experience uh, or, or a significant part of their experience of engaging with with digital resources is a very kind of slick interface um, that they get through kind of apps and and, and, and Facebook and, and other things. Um, yeah, although I mean, I think that they know both, don't they? Because many of them are are digital content creators. True. Yeah. So they know both, and one of the things that we one of the methods that we used in the study was um, a day in a life which um, uh, is both a, a, a genre on YouTube as yeah. well as a, a, a genre within um, sort of child-led ethnography. Mm-hmm. And we created Day in the Life um, documentaries with the young people, which were researcher-led, and they also created versions themselves, which were, A, much, much shorter, I can tell you, but <laughs> you know, they, they used the, the kind of tools they have at hand, and they weren't very slick. You know, they were pretty. They were pretty mm, clunky. Mm. They liked what we were doing when we were collaborating with the research professionals because we could create something that was really, um, uh, yeah, much sort of, much sort of better and became a sort of memento of a particular time in their lives. And I guess that's one of the issues that we, we're generating, or one of the insights that's coming from the project, which is around how acts of documentation, digital documentation, can also be acts of care and uh, of concern and that um, even when we were looking at for example the ways in which one of our participants who's a young mother uses um, the her, t- her phone to document and record and feed back to her baby sort of um, images of her baby and to and to friends you see the ways in which these digital devices and acts of documentation are very much part of um, everyday care practices in young people's lives. That sounds um, really fascinating. And so um, just out of interest, um, theoretically, who are you drawing on for that? Is it people uh, like Bella Casa? Um, Well, I mean, our team really is from a childhood studies um, uh, approach. So one of the things we've been trying to do in this project is to update childhood studies um, with a sort of um, a, a set of tradition of different kinds of intellectual traditions um, coming from, <clears throat> for example, um, you know, uh, I guess digital sociology, but also media archaeology mm-hmm. and media studies, where we think much more explicitly, not just about now, but also about the, about the past in the ways in which our methods of documentation may have shaped the kinds of ways in which we understand and think about the child. Mm. Um, and so 
we're we're very much kind of also looking back to sociology of, of um, or, or childhood studies of uh, that's already happened pre-digital to think mm. actually where is the materiality um, and also thinking about our methods to what extent our methods are mediated and have affordances in their own right and give give rise to certain kinds of documents certain kinds of ways of looking so we would be in a sense that's our particular um, interest um, is to engage with the chartered studies almost to reclaim some of the chartered studies of the past so someone like Caroline Steedman who um, who's a historian yeah. working in chartered studies who's um, had uh, has always talked about how children are watched how they are documented and what that means in terms of the watcher as well as the watched um, and I think it's really interesting to add to her perspective um, a layer about okay well what happens when this becomes digitized yeah. um, so that's yeah. that's the kind of territory um, that, mm. that we're working in both Liam and I now work interestingly we're both sociologists but we're both working now in a digital humanities lab yeah. uh, and I think one of the things we're trying to do is to make that stretch between digital sociology and digital humanities and to try and take, um, in a sense, the best from, from both. Do you see there being uh, any any kind of significant divides between those two or um, is it quite a porous boundary? Uh, have you encountered any particular difficulties? Or Well, it's interesting to me. Um, it's... It's, it's very interesting. I mean, it's in, very interesting how absent sociologists seem to be from mm. digital humanities to start with, that in the sense we're, we're almost bracketed out. Um, the, um, but I think, it's, I think it's really, really important that sociologists get into those debates because there's a fascination from the humanists about certain kinds of forms of... Um, uh, I guess computational method, yeah, which yeah. Uh, it is not terribly new to us as sociologists, and we've been using computational methods for, for an awful long time. That's not exciting, in a sense. But what's really exciting for for me is the notion, these kind of um, ideas about digital materialities, which are there in the digital humanities which we don't really have in the same way in sociology. Yeah. So I think mm. it's I think it's potentially a really really good um exchange um and it's uh but it's it's not straightforward and i think we could i think sociologists could really get left out mm. of of something that's moving very quickly um uh if we're not careful so you know i'm i'm, I'm pleased to be in but it, it's also can be quite wearing <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. of you know people rediscovering something quite ordinary um and then the next minute there being ideas which are genuinely exciting yeah. and sort of bending so yeah so to what extent have you been using kind of more traditional kind of ethnographic methods alongside this so you said that some of the some of the projects mm. that you just described were kind of researcher led in terms of uh, producing the um uh, the the videos uh, and some of the content um is there more traditional ethnographic observation going on around that 
Yeah, I mean, I think in some ways we don't use any computational methods in this study at all. We're not, there's no machine learning, there's no scraping, there's no, you know, we're using all of the methods we use. We use three key methods, but what we do in a sense is take them through the um, analog digital, digital transition uh, and think of them through that process. So mm-hmm. the f- first method is um, we call the favorite thing, which is basically an ob- object-based interviewing. So where we ask um, different participants to bring a, th- a material object as the beginning for a conversation and, uh, and an exploration. Um, the second one is a sort of um, day in the life, um, you know, ethnographic sort of uh, focused um, walk talk kind methodology, kind of methodology. And the third, I guess, which is um, the third is something we've been because I've been involved in longitudinal qualitative research for many years, um, and it's something we've developed within that within that um, framework, which we call the recursive workbook where you take, in a sense, edited highlights of a research process, present them back to participants, and then they, they re-narrate, um, re- re-narrate themselves um, through that. And one of the things that we've been really fascinated by is the way in which there are, are affinities or echoes between the methods that we use and wider methods in popular culture, um, particularly in sort of... Um, uh, reality TV, but also mm. YouTube culture. So we're very rarely asking young people to engage in something that they don't immediately understand and get. Mm. And mm. so one of the things we've been looking at is is what how does that relationship work um, between the sort of travelling methods of sociology and anthropology um, and these kinds of recursive um, digital um, uh, forms of culture um, and sort of self-making. So that's sort of territory we have explored with with these um, methods. In a sense, they're all methods of documentation and self-documentation. And we're we're very interested. I mean, we're just writing a book or almost finishing a book based on the study. And our subtitle, you know, it's called uh, Researching Everyday Childhoods in a Digital Age. Um, Mm. The subtitle is Time, Technology and Documentation. And I think those are the sort of three categories that we're very engaged with. And I guess that links particularly to the sort of live methods at part of the um, digital sociology um, kind of um, field. You know, the ways in which digital methods are performative, are documentary, how that breaks down the fourth wall between the research and the researched. Um, and makes that kind of almost an impossible distinction to hold. Yeah, I think that it could lead to some quite significant kind of changes in, in that relationship over time. Um, and just thinking about what you're saying, and uh, in many ways, I, I, I suppose this kind of engagement with the, the research, uh, with the, with the participants, uh, with the young people, is perhaps a slightly more natural uh, one with them in terms of this this kind of co-production of of um of content than a, a more traditional um research interview kind of process um but uh, yeah although yeah. we use very i mean the sense our our ethnographic engagement is is very traditional right you know right. 
the we write copious field notes, um, but we also collect soundscapes in a way that we wouldn't be able to have done previously. And we create the the documents that we kind of we create in the end are very much kind of layered multimedia sort of atmospheric documents. Mm. So um, I don't. I mean, I think you know the researcher. The role of the researcher is like is is shifting, but it, it it's not it's not simply um, participatory research either. The researcher is absolutely central to mm-hmm. to creating something that goes beyond. Um, I suppose it's this issue of quality, the excitement that everyone involved has is when you create something that really is quite beautiful, as opposed to yet another sort of um, clunky yeah. document yeah. Of, of something. So. But it brings in aesthetics to sociology, which, you know, sociology has always felt quite, um, uh, well, peculiar around, has never really had a direct engagement with, which, again, is something that that's, when you're working in the hum- you know, with people in the humanities is less of a, is less problematic. And, and so that's rather exciting. Yeah, absolutely. Um, just um, before we kind of wrap up, I was wondering if you've got any um, thoughts on, because obviously, part of this work is, is is engaged with or is perhaps using um sort of commercial um platforms or or devices or systems do you do you have you encountered any issues with that in terms of how it reflects uh, it kind of uh, impacts upon the research uh, you know whether that is in terms of kind of uh, engaging with youtube or, or or something else yeah i guess i mean in some ways because we are we haven't particularly done um, digital ethnography in that we are working in those digital spaces. We'd be much more walking alongside young people mm. in order to see when it's important. So one of the areas we've been looking at, you know, is things like homework time. Really fascinated to look at the multitasking, multi-screen, <laughs> sort of layered um, interactions that young people have at that time. We don't really need to go in into their their those online spaces or to scrape anything from from them no, in order no. to see what we need to see. Um, so we have primarily been um, creating our own data <laughs> as opposed to scraping right. data from elsewhere. Saying that we've also you know we you know we're really interested in every YouTube video that they've looked at when we're, you know, um, we, you know, we try to find ways of representing that layering in our, in the ways in which we docu- document them. So, uh, you know, dead links is, a, is, is probably as, bu- as, as bad as it gets for us. Um, right. We're not asking access in this project to, to um, data, which is actually held in the private domain. I suppose more than anything else, what we want to do is to um, to raise questions about the relationship between public data and private data, and to problematise um, uh, both, you know, the sort of lack of accountability of private data, but also to to perhaps um, uh, encourage a, a more sort of open approach to the generation of public data than we have at the moment, particularly with children. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's um, as we're talking at the moment, which is um, the, the podcast might go out a bit later, but this is uh, end of May, and in the last few days, there's been a, a lot of 
reporting about in the news about Facebook's yeah, kind of right. policies uh, and systems and their moderation systems and this kind of thing, um, yeah. uh, and uh, possibly um, uh, problematic approaches um, to um, or, or lack of accountability. Some people are suggesting, uh, and also quite recently, you know, stories about Facebook specifically targeting um, uh, people who they've deemed to have anxiety or other issues for kind of advertising. Um, yeah. in, in Australia, I think. Um, do you think that there is, um, due to kind of public knowledge or pressure or political pressure on this, it, it, is there a move to, to a more kind of accountability, uh, particularly towards young people uh, of, of those kinds of platforms? Or is it something that is effectively kind of going to be out of, out of our hands? No, I think it's, I mean, certainly there's, sort of knowledge exchange kind of work leading on from this project where we we are seeking to to have some of those kinds of conversations um with um you know private companies but i think one of the problems about the figure of the child is it's it's always the almost like the fuel that scandals around this kind of area always happen around and generally um, the outcome is not necessarily good for children no. <laughs> um, uh, within within this. So I think we have to be really careful of using anxiety about children when actually exactly the same issue might might be valid around the adult mm-hmm. um, as a sort of route to campaigning or um, or, or critiquing um, sort of private sector practices because inevitably what happens is it just closes down um, opportunities for young people, and then they have to go under the radar with yeah. no protection whatsoever in order to, to you know, to do what they need to do. And there's no way in which we can necessarily operate um, um, outside of digital devices now. So it's not no. not not sorry an option. So I think we're quite cautious as childhood studies researchers. We really understand the power of the child mm. as a figure in political discourse um, and the way it can get used in quite um, normative and reactionary ways. So um, we, you know, we're, we're cautious, I guess, in, in, in that area. But I think there's also um, the importance of, you know, when you're using kind of methods that we've used where you're not simply working in the digital spaces, but you're working, looking at the sort of the ways in which the everyday is um, uh, the digital is synthesized as part of everyday processes you also get a sense of of of, of um, I suppose maybe a more balanced sense of where and how it matters um, in a way that you might lose track of if you only looked in the digital spaces because they can be um, they can seem very alarming in isolation um, and I think there's a lot of research in the sort of childhood field that simply looks at representations of children online or um, issues like bullying or mm. child exploitation, where we don't see we don't see the interface between the mediated and the face to face or the sort of integrative ways in which they they work together and the more mundane and the more ordinary so that it becomes a field of great heightened anxiety and, mm. and concern. I think that in itself is probably quite problematic. Yeah, absolutely. And I suppose that's one of the, the key things that sociological or sociological type work um, is able to, uh, to open up that, that, that connection between 
um, uh, the mediated and the, and the face-to-face and the digital and the non-digital or however we want to see it. Yeah. 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 That's um, been really fascinating. Um, thanks so much for talking to me. It's been great to have a chat. Yeah, good. And I'll, I'll plug our book, which is almost finished and will yeah, be published by do, yeah. Spree. And I guess it's probably going to be 2018 now. It, we were trying for 2017, but I think it's 2018. Thank you very much. No, thank you. Bye. Bye. So that was my interview with Rachel. Um, and next week I'll be talking to Maria Stoylova about her work on a project looking at young people's experiences online. The theme music was Welcome to Video Video Game Island by Mole and the stings were from Disco Stump by Jonas78, both of those used on a Creative Commons license. If you'd like to get in touch, you can find me at Chris H. Till on Twitter and you can see my blog uh, for more information on the podcasts, which is thisisnotasociology.blog and you should be able to find this podcast on SoundCloud and on any of the normal podcast apps. See you next time.